0: Morning, noon, or night, wherever and whenever you are listening, you are listening to The Shift. I am your host. My name is Doug McKenty. This conversation was recorded on December 3rd, 2020. I'm happy to welcome Allison McDowell to the show today for an in depth discussion concerning the technocratic movement and its use by the billionaire class to develop and implement methodologies of social control. Allison first went down the rabbit hole as a mother and political activist concerned about the quality of public education in her home city of Philadelphia. Her research very quickly revealed the unseen hand of public-private partnerships that led straight to Agenda 21 and the machinations of the upper class to implement social change through processes that lack transparency and bypass traditional democratic procedures. Her blog, Wrench in the Gears, charts her journey of discovery as she followed the money trail to discover a cast of characters, corporations, and elite foundations colluding to control essentially every aspect of our lives. With the onset of the COVID pandemic and ensuing lockdowns, Allison's research led to an extensive examination of the World Economic Forum and the concepts of the Great Reset and Fourth Industrial Revolution. At first glance, this billionaire-funded organization appears to seek an almost utopian vision of a post-COVID world, finally in balance with the state of nature. A look behind the curtain, however, reveals a network of social control, constant surveillance, and even a financial network designed to securitize human capital. She has discovered plans to implement not just an Internet of Things, but an Internet of Bodies. That, it is planned, will link each and every one of us to a central network managed by artificial intelligence with algorithms determined by financial trades created on a commodities exchange. Not only that, but Allison's blog provides a big-picture historical analysis that utilizes a paradigm of continuous colonization with historical roots in slavery, transhumanism, eugenics, and financial control by an elite class, seeking to upgrade human resource management with the advent of 5G, AI, and human-machine interface technologies. While all of this sounds too crazy to be true... Allison's impeccable research skills and countless primary source documents leave little doubt as to the true intentions of the oligarch class. I urge all of my listeners to check out her work at www.wrenchinthegears.com. You can also find more episodes of this podcast and hours of free material at The Shift with Doug McKenty on Facebook, YouTube, or your favorite podcast hosting site. I'm on Twitter at McKenty and on the web at www.theshiftnow.com where you can find all my work in one place and subscribe for feature-length episodes. Stay tuned for this episode featuring blogger Allison McDowell. I'd like to thank her for agreeing to this interview, and thank you for helping to make the shift. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this 60-second episode of The Shift. I'm your host, Doug McKinty. I'm joined today by Allison McDowell. She does the blog Wrench in the Gears. I have been searching for a couple of months now, actually, for someone to really take a deep dive with into what is being called the Great Reset and the idea of the fourth industrial revolution that's being put forward by the World Economic Forum. And I feel like I have found a diamond in the rough. Allison does incredible work. Um, I've just been so excited actually to go over her research and just everything is backed up by primary source material. She is really dedicated to uh, the type of research that you would expect would happen in in mainstream journalistic circles, but unfortunately I very rarely actually run into it uh, and that kind of dedication really shows. So thanks for coming on the show. Allison, do you want to give people a little bit about your background and we can get started trying to To take apart some of this fourth industrial revolution stuff.
1: Right. Um, Well, so I, I mean, first and foremost, I'm a mom, I'm an independent researcher. I'm based in Philadelphia. Um, I mostly fell into this um, through doing advocacy around the privatization of public education. Um, Our our child graduated um, about a year and a half ago, but we were 13 years in the Philadelphia public schools and, um, very much a crucible for all of the privatization efforts. Um, And so initially I was just very naive thinking that people didn't really know why what they were doing was such a problem and there were school closures and um, they were weaponizing test scores. So I kind of got into um, fighting the standardized testing programs and then ultimately looking more into educational technology, um, both as a profit center and as a surveillance mechanism And at a certain point, I wasn't really making a lot of progress in the education field. So I moved on and I realized it was largely about um, managing people as data, as data commodities. And it wasn't limited to simply this educational context. It was really about managing people as data within the larger framework of accessing state or or public benefit systems and poverty management. And so we're one of the, the, Philadelphia is one of the poorest cities um, in the country. We're a predominantly black city. Um, you know, democratic led city and uh, You know, we have incredible wealth inequality and then surrounding us some very very affluent communities The main line of Philadelphia is just beyond us and we're home of the University of Pennsylvania among other universities and Wharton business school So there are quite a few tentacles of these various players that are on the global stage but are actually like in my community so I have sort of a macro and then a micro lens in terms of um doing some more like on the ground activism and and knowing people who are affected by these policies like directly. So that's sort of my lens is like, I fell into it just trying to make things right with the schools and then realizing that following the technological developments and the financial developments behind it, that if we didn't start to educate people about the nature of what was going on. Like we were essentially what's being built around us is a is a global open air prison <laughs> <you> know, <clears throat> to serve the hedge funds and um, that COVID ended up being to me like out of left field, but the trigger event for for all of this to, to, to fast forward it and to legitimize it.
0: <clears throat> yeah, it's been so interesting. I mean, I have to say that when COVID first hit for me too, I mean, I've been watching these. I've always thought that uh, there have been certain viral scares the zika virus scare um even with h1n1 you know really playing things up or, or bad flu seasons or west nile virus or Haunta virus, and they always come up with this thing and i thought that COVID was going to be another one of these things which typically ends in uh congress passing some kind of bill that gives a few billion dollars to pharmaceutical companies to work on a vaccine and to see it grow into what it's grown into has been phenomenal Um, But it's almost like they've played their hand here, because I had never even heard of the World Economic Forum until I uh, heard about Event 201, which seemed to be a gaming scenario that happened conveniently right before COVID came out. And then you start getting into the World Economic Forum stuff, and it turns out that these guys are are major players behind what's called the Great Reset. Um, So do you want to explain for the audience exactly what you've discovered about the Great Reset?
1: Well, essentially, it's important to to realize. So, Klaus Schwab is is sort of the lead of the, the World Economic Forum. They meet annually in January in Davos, and it's very well recognized. You know that you can see who goes to Davos. M- most of the power players, including celebrities, you know, attend, and they have you know they have their own YouTube channels, and you can watch and see. It's not hidden. It's not like Bilderberg, you know, that sort of thing. It's very mm-hmm. out in the open. Um, and they've had these annual conferences, but Klaus Schwab has been in it since the beginning. I think the mid 1970s. And he's always led it. So it's not like this is, you know, a transition, like this is his baby and he is carrying it forward. Um, If we understand what's coming is really about ushering in this fourth industrial revolution, that is what the Great Reset is. It's about advancing the fourth industrial revolution. And that revolution is being sort of planned out by the most powerful corporate And Financial and military, you know defense interests in the world and it's a global reset Um, it's it's not so much about geopolitics. This really everyone everyone east and west is is in on this. Um, it's advancing um, automation um, Artificial intelligence quantum computing the internet of things synthetic biology so really in in many ways a global economic system in which human beings as human beings in our labor, including service work and knowledge work, are becoming redundant and replaced by algorithms and robotics. And, and there will be a transition point that they imagine that we're essentially training our work replacements like we had with globalization, you know, and, and the visas that you, you train the robots to do your job and then you're supposed to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the challenge of what's what I, I've been researching is within this redundant labor force, you know, how how do these elite sociopathic billionaires continue to control and profit from us in this new construct where physical labor, even knowledge or mental labor is, is irre- becoming irrelevant. Um, so that's what the reset is putting in place and the control mechanism, it's twofold. Um, this is what's going to come with the biometric passports, the health passports. And that's why COVID was such an important um, it was the catalyst because they needed something that was global and they needed something that could happen relatively quickly and get everyone on board and the, the World um, worldwide Web Consortium has been researching digital identity and self-sovereign identity for about the past decade coming up with a digital identity system and now that's being early, like rolled out with Common Pass, um, which is backed by the World Economic Forum and Rockefeller Foundation. That's what you're hearing about in the Heathrow airports. The airport airlines are starting to use this. Mm -hmm. And I think they're not being really fully honest because the other products that um, the Commons Project has developed is access to employment and education as another product. And the other one is real-time biological monitoring. Right? So they're not going to tell you about those other two right off. They're going to try to normalize the, the airline travel and pretend that it's just about airline travel and that people might accept it if it was just to get on an airplane occasionally as opposed to that you're going to have to get tested every day to go to your job or, you know, for your kids to go to daycare. Um, so this has all been in, in the works. Um, the idea is once everyone is on this biological tracking system, you um, that they can be engineered both in terms of social control, like from a a signals intelligence and a military framework, but also the idea is that these crazy financial markets are looking to create structured debt finance deals (laughs) Um, and that is not unlike what happened with the, the toxic bundled mortgages. So they take something that mm-hmm. seems like a real asset and then they start to abstract and securitize it and gamble on it. It's, it's legalized gambling. That the next phase is not going to be simply um, securitized property and housing, the housing market, but is actually going to securitize our human futures can you, can in you terms explain of that our term. relation. So, um, so turning something into a tradable asset. Okay. And then, and then in the futures, like there are futures markets. So the gambling is that this asset will increase in, in value, but then you can short it so that, that, that people will be gambling that it will decrease in value. So it's right. both sides. Um, and then essentially it also securitization, like these asset-backed securities bundle multiple items together. So you could have a portfolio of people a portfolio of human capital just like you would have a portfolio of bundled mortgages and then once you you put them all together as a package as a structured debt product you can then trade them on markets and, and on global markets and and that's what we're looking at is not just what happened with the last global housing the global economic crash but that it's going to be tied to securitized debt for training and reskilling. And this is all what's coming now with um, the reskilling post COVID for the new economy for these jobs of building the fourth industrial revolution. Um, and also privatize public benefit services. So they will be privatizing your access to healthcare, they will be privatizing your access to housing. And then in that, you become an investable commodity through your data. I know it's kind of complicated, but that's it's all right now a lot of it is thought concepts and they have preliminary pilots, but it hasn't yet been brought to scale. And what they need to bring it to scale are the digital identity systems. And that's why COVID is so critical, is that they can impose as a, a condition potentially of national security threat that if you don't have a digital identity where you can be tracked minute by minute on your health status, you are a threat. And that's that's once you have a digital identity, that's how you become the data commodity.
0: Well, I mean, the fascinating thing about what you're discussing here is that, uh, you know, because people think, oh, gosh, COVID happened, and now we have to develop all of this stuff in order to deal with COVID. But you're clearly describing something that's been decades in the making here, and then COVID was allowed to be like a a trigger point, where now they're able to roll this stuff out. Can you talk about the history of these ideas? I mean, how long have they been contemplating these kinds of financial markets?
1: Well, they are... The idea of an industrially engineered society, I mean, goes back to the early 20th century. And, and I know I'm sure you, you've had guests talk about like the technocracy movement and that was mm-hmm. very big in California. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was run, I mean, it, it out of the Columbia university school of industrial engineering, like that's how it was developed in the, in the teens and twenties. And then it took off in the thirties under the new deal and it kind of went quiet. And then in the seventies, the big new Brzezinski, um, and the technocrats sort of brought it back up. And I think in many respects, a lot of us are thinking it was taken over into China um, through Nixon and, and those Zbigniew Brzezinski's relations in China so that it could be incubated and the re- technology can be refined. So the idea of an industrial engineered society goes back quite far. And there's actually a, a book that I would highly recommend people read um, Zamyatin, Yevgeny Zamyatin, I believe his name is, in 1920, it's called We, it's just a novel, it's called We, and it's about an industrial engineer society. Um, So again, the Trilateral Commission was created with Brzezinski, Carter was in the first cohort in the Trilateral Commission. So it's, it kind of shocked me because I think people have a certain idea of who Jimmy Carter was, but if you don't necessarily think of him as an industrial, that to be, you know, the early onset of this industrial engineered economy, but he was. Um, and so this was embedded within the Rockefeller Foundation and and very much likely that the, the um, Klaus Schwab, you know, from this, this early stage. Um, so, so it was the 70s. Now, you know, it's been simmering, uh, you know, and we went off the gold standard, um, in the mid-1990s, um, this guy, Arthur Rolnick, who is a uh, an economist, senior economist at the Federal Reserve Bank in Minneapolis, he developed with this individual, a former um, General Mills executive, I believe, Stephen Rothschild, a concept called outcomes-based government contracting. And it all sounds good. Like, it's a, like pay for performance for government mm. contracts. And, and it's, all of this stuff is very bipartisan, and it's attractive because the conservatives say, well, we're getting our money's worth. And then the Democrats can say, oh, well, we're providing services. So this has always been very, very connected. Um, So these outcomes-based government contracts were set up in the mid-1990s with Arthur Rolnick. Um, And they didn't do a whole lot. Um, Stephen Rothschild was involved in like a job training program for the poor, um, for like men who were returning from prison. And, you know, it sort of sat there. But then in the early 2000s, I believe like 2007, 2008, um, Sir Ronald Cohen in the United Kingdom, who was a Harvard MBA, he developed something called the social impact bond. So he took this idea of a government um, contract. He, he created with, I believe it was under Tony Blair, um, who was connected with McKinsey and Deliverology. Um, they used the um, unclaimed banking accounts in the uk to to create a pool of capital to trigger these new investment markets these social impact bonds And they were based in the idea of a cost offset So in that way, it's somewhat similar to um, carbon offsets and bill drayton um, with ashoka who is who worked under jimmy carter. He created the carbon offset Mm -hmm. The social impact bonds are identified as a cost offset against some social ill that has a price attached to it So there are many social impact bonds around recidivism because prison, the prison industrial complex has such a specific price and they can say, well, if we can prevent you from returning to prison, we will save all of this money. And then the difference between the intervention program and the cost it would have to reincarcerate someone, there's like a gap and then they'll negotiate a slice of that as the profit for the investment company. But it's almost pre-crime, right? Like you haven't been reincarcerated, but they're predictively profiling that you will be. And it's also, it doesn't take into account the structural nature of the prison industrial complex that many people are held in the judicial system, not because they just alone made bad choices, but but because of the the structure of the economic society. And, and, and And in fact, the prison industrial complex was created to manage excess labor for the first round of globalization, right? We will put black and brown people in prison because there we can make money off of them. So this cost, cost offset idea is integral to both the social impact bond and in, in the humanitarian aid division, there's something called the development impact bond. But it's, the universities are creating all of these equations. Um, so what is the cost of special education? So the, 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 the early social impact bonds in Michael Bloomberg brought this idea from the UK um, into the US. The first one was at Rikers Island, that was a prison one, but there was also a preschool social impact bond, and that was in Salt Lake City. Um, And Goldman Sachs backed this. And so that cost offset was special education. And they had a screening tool where they would screen children and say, listen, if we give them pre-K, they won't need special education. So again, they're predictively profiling these children into services that they haven't yet actually needed. And what happened out of that particular program is of the 100 children who were screened into the special program funded by Goldman Sachs, only one of the 100 kids Qualified for special education when they enrolled in kindergarten So either this tool which was questioned in the press actually even in the new york times They were saying this these metrics don't add up if you really had legit children who needed this support either your um, your tool wasn't working and you were pulling in kids who wouldn't have needed services or um, you're, you're denying services for kids who need them right mm-hmm. there There's no way that of the hundred kids only one would need special education but goldman sachs made out a lot of money on that So that's getting ready to scale and there's a, there's a, that was in-person pre-K, but they've actually developed online preschool, this company called Waterford Upstart, also out of Salt Lake City. And, you know, three years ago, I was like, well, who the heck is doing online preschool, right? That makes no sense. Who the heck would ever do online preschool? And then, of course, they're piloting it on refugee children. Like, they're piloting Waterford Upstart in Philadelphia on refugee families. And they're like, well, it's better than nothing. We'll give them online preschool, right? So they're the test pilot. But now guess what? I'm pretty sure, like, from here on forward, everybody's going to be doing online preschool. And so, that's the nature of these cost offsets is that the universities are complicit. That the, the pre K program was the equation was developed by Jim Heckman, who's a Nobel Prize winning economist at the University of Chicago. So, the, the Becker Friedman School of Economics, the Chicago boys are developing the equation, but they're developing the equation fully funded by open society, right? And so, when people say, oh, they're trying to make it partisan, I'm like, no, it's not partisan. Like if George Soros is funding people, the Chicago boys, to come up with an equation to securitize toddlers, um, it's, it's a, it, everyone is in on, a, on it. It's a game of power and domination mm-hmm. over the masses. And and people just don't know what's going on. And if they did, they would rise up, I think, and stop it.
0: Right. I mean, I've tried to, I, I've tried to switch from the left-right paradigm to the top-down paradigm, right? Because the left-right paradigm confuses the issues so much and when people identify with with the left or the right it, it seems like it makes it really challenging for them to be able to actually see the big picture which is that these billionaires clearly have an agenda and then you know when something like COVID happens suddenly boom you know this agenda is is moving forward um
1: yeah well and you said you're in you're northern california so a lot of these pilots actually um because what they're at at this stage of the game is they're developing for the past five years, they've been developing pilot projects. So Sir Ronald Cohen has divisions in Canada, in the U.S., in Israel, and in a number of countries. And this is parallel paralleling the push towards digital e-government because it's all about getting the data and the data analytics. Um, so they can develop pilot programs all around the world, but essentially this is software as service, right? This is, this is finance as service. So once they develop and refine the technologies, And this is running through um, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals um, and through UNICEF and through the development aid programs. They can upload the the, the programs once they they, they have it refined and once we get these digital identities in place anywhere in the world very rapidly. So so it doesn't matter if they're developing this program in Brazil or they're developing it in Beijing or they're developing it in Santa Clara um, That once they have the product that they can they can upload them So Santa Clara County in Silicon Valley has been the test bed for four different social impact projects Um, There's one called there was a pre-k program There was an early literacy program and that that links into the third grade test score um, and the, the reading guarantees that are being imposed um, There was one for mental health and there was one for housing and what's very insidious is that in these deals that are structured to make them to Legitimize them they will say that they will have a third party to review the outcomes to decide whether or not um, to, the, the deal is a good deal, right? That they'll have someone from the outside reviewing the deals Well Palantir which is Peter Thiel's company is doing the deal review for the mental health and the housing social impact bonds in Santa Clara County, right? So if you are um, you know, a family in need of housing in Santa Clara and as you have someone in your household that's undocumented, well, Palantir is reviewing all of your data. Like you are essentially within the panopticon if you need to avail yourself of having some sort of public benefit access. Mm-hmm. Same with mental health. I mean, who wants Palantir tracking the, the, the mental health status of you know, unhoused people? it's it's actually criminal what what's being proposed but it's being laid out as progressive philanthropy and right. and that's what's so frustrating is that for me as someone who comes at things more from a left angle is that it's the progressives who are selling this stuff and right now it's the democratic governors who are the most dangerous people because they're the ones imposing all of this and if you if you look to the the origins um of a lot of these financial products, it's, it's laid into eugenics and the Fabian Society and the London School of Economics. So when you go back this early 20th century, even from the left, these sort of bourgeois intellectuals lording over the poor that we know better for the poor, so we'll give you health care, but we know better for you. Like it's baked in, it's been baked in. And in the UK, the father of social entrepreneurship, his name was Michael Young, he was the thought leader for the Labour Party post-World War II. He developed the NHS. Right, and so in many respects, this technocratic insertion of of data analytics rep- relies on a, a social support network, right? And, and I'm not saying that people don't deserve to have access to all of this, but it shouldn't be conditional on being surveilled and being tracked and having your behavior managed. And that's what's what's happened. So that's why it's coming through initially. Um, Countries that have a social support network because if that network didn't exist, it would be much more difficult You would actually have to create the network and then co-opt it So right now that this stuff has been injected into the system and people are simply not aware
0: Yeah, I mean what you're describing to me sounds like a form of social engineering where they're actually creating a kind of a I mean, I want to call it a fake free market, but some kind of a marketplace where the wealthy can invest in the types of social engineering programs that are going to then be happening to The, the vast majority of the rest of us uh, and and it is essentially um, It's a, a, it's a system of complete control right where no one has Individual free will anymore or at least their free will is minimized. You've described things like uh, nudging people right to to get to make the correct choice over time and and the people that are defining what the correct choice is is not going to be you it's going to be you know these people at the top of the pyramid that are that are that have decided already what's best for us uh if once we're kind of trapped inside of this system
1: it is it's like a matrix i mean eventually it may even be ai like i mean at some point you don't know actually what's being set up because a lot of what underlies this is this um, the technology of blockchain, mm-hmm. which is many people are familiar with it and understand it as cryptocurrency, but cryptocurrency is only just one small element of it, the digital currency. It is about um, tracking. it's a decentralized ledger system that tracks everything. And so I've I, I talked about it. that's what the 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 decentralized um, the self-sovereign identities that they would like to set up with these biometric passports is, they will start with health data, right? Or they will start with mobility data. But they can layer in everything. They can layer in here's your digital wallet for your universal basic income. But it's programmable, right? We can decide how much money you get to spend on housing and food and these other things. And within those choices, we can also use computer coding to make you make the choices we'd like for you to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can cut it off potentially if, if in real time if you're you're not you know obeying appropriately. Um, so. The the blockchain identity systems capture large chunks of data, like your birth certificate, your property that you own, your credentials, your health status, um, your your electronic health records, all of those things. But increasingly, as we move towards environments of ubiquitous computing and Internet of Things sensors in smart cities, that all of that data will start layering in as well, almost to the point of making what's like a digital twin. The, right. Their goal is digital twinning. And that's what's going to come after 5G. The next iteration is 6G. And 6G is for robot to robot communication and digital twinning, essentially cre- recreating you virtually through your data, your data profile. And what's very insidious about all of this is that they will sell it to you as privacy, right? So they create the problem. Oh, Facebook owns all your data and they're making money off you. Here's the solution. You can, be, you can own your all your data right? You can, you can be your own curator of your own digital identity and you can create a great brand. You can be an influencer or you can just be a degenerate, you know, like you can be whatever. In fact, maybe you could have multiple identities, right? And we could commodify and profit off of all of them because mm. in virtual space, you, you have multiplicities, right? I mean, and that's how capitalism goes. It's going to, it's moved into the virtual world and it's, it's, moving on in this other realm that we, most people can't even see that's linked into video game reality and the, the entertainment software association, you know, the militarized, it's a militarized virtual world. Um, but I can't remember, I got a little bit off track, but I think it's important to understand the blockchain identity concept because that's what's going to be used for the predictive profiling. And if you are rich, maybe you never have to unlock your data. Right. You never have to unlock your data to show anybody what your data is Um, and you can keep it private. But if you are poor, if you need to avail yourself of training, retraining and reskilling or access to medical care or access to food, then you're going to have to give give up your data or at least open it up for analytics. Right. And and that's what um, MIT has developed, something called Ocean Protocol, which allows them to query on encrypted data. So if we allow this, if we become data commodities, none of it will stop telemedicine and crappy online education and VR therapy and all of this stuff, it will just turbocharge it because then we've agreed. We've agreed as a construct that life is now virtualized and can be turned into a a commodity in that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the fantastic thing about all this, it seems like such a methodology of control so that, as you say, the lower classes are going to have to release their data and participate in order to get the retraining, the education, um, the job opportunities, um, the healthcare, you know, that is going to be offered to them, but only if they decide to play ball. Um, What happens if you don't decide to play ball? You know, I mean, what happens to people that decide to stay outside of this system?
1: I mean, I guess that's the big question mark, right? right. <laughs> like that's, I mean, and that's why I'm trying. Like, time is of the essence because I truly believe that once they establish the biometric health passports, it will be very dif- difficult to get back off out of the system. Mm-hmm. And 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 I know that there's a lot of this like back and forth about the specific nature of that technology. If it includes biosensors, which we know are coming, you know whether it's in the first round of injections or some future round, we know that DARPA and Forfusa and these military, you know, they are developing injectable biosensors tied to pandemic preparedness. So that's definitely in the hopper, but it doesn't have to be that to begin with. It could really just be um, a, a scan on the vial of the injection tied to another database system that has your biometric and linked with a QR code. It could be on a phone or not, right? Um, And this has already been piloted in Austin. Michael Bloomberg um, and the Robert Woods Johnson Foundation developed a program called MyPASS, right? Like, and if we understand how pass systems work, right, we should, like, really be looking at the history of pass systems and and controlling um, targeted populations. Um, But it was really just a QR code on a laminated piece of cardstock right? Like they were not spending much money on the, these unhoused people to, you know, all they, all they needed was a biometric database and this QR code. And so it could be very low tech at this point. It doesn't have to go to the like injectable biosensor with 6G twinning to begin with. It could just really start off with the QR code. But once you're there, how do you extract yourself from the system? Mm-hmm. And then I would say those of us who's try to stand outside the system, one, you need you know, an economic, a way to support yourself economically. And then, you know, the other thing is, and I'm not trying to be dark. I mean, that's why I sort of feel like this is sort of a, a battle of of the spirit at this point is that, you know, we know that they have directed energy weapons. Like we know that they have geoengineering, like for people to independently, I know there's a big, you know, movement around freedom cells. And while I respect the inclination to want to pursue that that avenue and to have autonomy. And and I, I I think that's a great idea, but realistically we are going up against the most powerful actors in the world who are advancing on a unified front. Mm -hmm. If your community truly poses a threat, it's challenging to sort of figure out how individual communities would repel that. You know, I just don't, you know, if you're not a threat, maybe they leave you alone for a while, but eventually, um, there's going to have to be some direct confrontation about, about it. And t- to me, it feels like, you know, I never used to, I used to be like a really a, a much more just regular person, but like that, if, if you understand that, that they know about string theory, they know about quantum computing, they know about like, more sophisticated aspects of physics, who knows that there's not some other d- dimensional, stage out there where this is playing out where where spirit and intention matter you know and i think in some respects that relates to the suppression of gathering and faith practice and singing and performance and dancing and all of these things that actually activate vibrationally spiritual um energetic waves in that to counter something like that. I think, I think that that's very consistent Now I can't prove any of it. I I can't, but in my heart, it feels like as we fight to remain human, you know, in, in a world that is increasingly mechanized, that is our humanity. That is what, what will, will be make the difference.
0: Well, I mean, this is exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about a, a technocratic system that is so controlling that we're not even capable of making our own life choices anymore. So they're taking free will away from us, and then they're starting. I mean, maybe we could go a little bit deeper into this because the five G rollout has happened at exactly the same time as the COVID thing is going on. I mean, the very next law that Congress passed after the the COVID bailout package was um, the five G complete 5g rollout and you you know um now we're seeing 5g everywhere and this as as you've mentioned before is allowing this uh robot to robot communication and we've seen um predictions already that with robots coming online there's going to be 35 less 35 percent less jobs um for for the humans to do so it seems like the upper classes are, are acting preemptively, realizing that, you know, once the robots replace all the humans, what are they going to do with the humans? Right. Well, we can herd them into this, into this technocratic system and we can do a kind of a slave management. I mean, as I was reading your stuff, I kept thinking about, you know, for, for all these years. And, and we could even continue to touch on the history. There's a hundred years of history, at least, in terms of technocracy and the eugenics movement that you touched on as well and so we're seeing this this reduction of of human biological function into this feeling of of complete mechanization um i mean the only way to respond to that is to want to be human, right? I mean, it's going to be, know, some kind so? of response, like, I like my body, you know, can I, I, know.
1: I mean, we're <laughs> imperfect, but I mean, and I think that's the thing that's so shocking about COVID is the extent to like how rapidly people fell in line. Yeah. I mean, to a certain extent. And I would, I would encourage people to look up um, James Giordano. He's a professor out of Georgetown and his uh, background is like cognitive neuroscience. And he, he like, there he's, I mean, probably total deep state, but like he, he talks about the mind as battle space, that the the mind is the battle space. And he's, I mean, he has quite a few lectures online, but like at West point, the modern warfare Institute, you know, he's talking about one augmenting, um, you know, our side, right. Augmenting military actors, but then also demobilizing the opposition Mm -hmm. and making them immobilized to fight back. And, you know, I think if you understand this as transnational global capital and the billionaires and their robots against everybody else, this idea of you know acting out in a militarized way against domestic populations, like I feel like that we are all under attack, like as domestic populations, the 5G installations, um, the, 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 the biosecurity state that is coming is that there is actually a war on the people of the world and that while they would like to sort of make it out like, you know, where the, you know various countries are against each other, or like, oh, this is China is doing this, or this is you know, no, it is it is power, right? Mm-hmm. It is Jack Ma, and it is the Saudis, and it is Goldman Sachs. It is it is raw power, and there are, and certainly there's going to be jockeying down the road about who was coming out on top, but um, the military um, mind control element of this. You know i don't think can be underestimated and 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 we're not even injected with stuff yet as far as i know yeah right yeah.
0: So people well, should be
1: asking people should be holding it accountable and i keep thinking like from my perspective like as the human like because the children of the earth indigenous people like people of the lands particularly like the sacred feminine and mothers like i would love to see a global peace movement of mothers Like I would stand with the mothers of China and the mothers of Brazil and the mothers in Gaza and the mothers in the Philippines and Mumbai. Like it it is that level of, it's a peace movement. I think it has to come from not a militarized response, but like a genuine human quality to it, um, a spiritual and sacred quality. And and I I will just mention that, um, I don't know if people are paying attention, but there are giant protests of the farmers in Mumbai or Delhi now in India because Gates, that the takeover of the food system is very much tied in with synthetic biology, and Rockefeller is looking to reset the food system too. And they're looking at three D printed food, tying food to your DNA. Um, and I, I really do believe that that is part of their transhumanist program: is to control food access, um, but beyond food access, to actually engineer you through your food. Yeah. And the farmers, millions of farmers, are standing up. Like, and it's amazing; it's beautiful. But that's when we talk about the expanse of it, we have to understand the full manifestation, because you might not think, oh, the the farmers in in New Delhi are not um, part of this. No, they are an integral part of this, because they are saving the food system.
0: Yeah, I've been concerned that control of the food supply is going to be one of the next things that they target, because once we're all starving, if we don't, you know, if we can't get food unless we've got the vaccine, or we've got the chip, or we're part of this digital identity world, um, clearly, I, I mean it's it's a bit it's i think it's always been a part of the of the of the system of colonization is to take control of the food supply of any given nation and have the major corporations you know destroying the 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 individual farmers and then sucking up all the land resources and and the the food growth into these big um corporate agricultural transnational corporations and then having control of the food supply rather than having it be decentralized but let's continue the conversation in terms of this idea of colonization because when i saw that your work had been kind of trending in this direction this is something that i think about a lot and and even because as we talk about the technocracy coming in we're, we're getting kind of metaphorical here but it has all kinds of applications in the real world um you know i i keep thinking about like in ancient greece they had these words they had techne and bios and they knew that they understood the difference between the kind of The kind of rationalizations that that you know applied to either the engineering, which is the techné concept, or the the human body or the organic living life body, which is bios, and and they had the separation. And what we're seeing is this complete domination um, by this concept of techné, if you will. Like it's it's just rolling through, and the elite classes that want to control are doing that. I think then in psychology you can look at it as narcissism or sociopathy. Um, where they don't have empathy for individuals making their own choices and and following their own path, but they want to be very controlling, Um, or just the general concept of patriarchy. To me, a patriarchy or patriarchal culture would be a culture that is one of the characteristics certainly is going to be this drive towards technocracy or this belief that technology is more important than that nurturing of the organic, of the life, of living in the cycles of nature. Um, and I've actually come to see lately because the conversations have become so, so confusing, like the, the, in the left, right paradigm, what people are supposed to think and how they're having conversations. It it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, uh, especially in terms of the race relationships. I've been trying to understand what's been going on with the Black Lives Matter movement and all of this. And uh, suddenly it's occurred to me, um, the more and more in the last six months, um, but I think we can interpret world history in terms of colonization and it's really important that there was a movement I mean if we go back to if we just started ancient rome and the history goes back beyond that When you started to see these elite class this elite class be developed and start to take over Humanity during in certain parts And then the roman empire kind of grew into europe and that the europeans have actually been colonized like that's what i'm seeing As opposed to say, you know an, an if you if you follow uh indigenous wisdom you're going to have a different world view than what you get if you were raised in a in a post roman colonized society um and and so i you know do you just want to speak to this in a a broader sense because i'm starting to see that that's what seems to be happening to me where i feel like i'm having uh an empathy towards like maybe we should be learning from these indigenous cultures about how to live in harmony But so many people, I feel like I'm living in the middle of a of a colonized world where they're just it's it's become a a kind of a brainwashing. Like they can't see outside of that paradigm. So I'm having a hard time describing what's going on to my friends and family. You know,
1: I mean, but then we have to own up. Like both, I mean, part of it is you have to know the history. Like you have to have a have understand the context, and then you have to be able to both face the history, but not be so like shamed or guilted by it into immobility, right? Right. Because I think in many respects, the identity politics that we have had doesn't really offer much many answers and it just offers a lot of shame and finger pointing so that there's not a good way out. And so in that way, it actually serves the ruling class because everyone is sitting around feeling shamed or feeling, you know, a certain way, but we don't progress. Like we don't actually get to the, the next step. And we don't, and we're looking at each other as opposed to looking at Michael Bloomberg and Bill Gates. And Mark <laughs> totally, and like, totally. Like, I mean, they're the jerks. Like, yeah. you know, we can, we can figure it out. And, um, like, I think, you know, Indigenous understanding people's relation to land and cultural practice and natural cycles um is really vitally important and i think in many respects i i feel like this domination this engineering this technology these control systems is sort of a a western enlightenment um element that we've like so many people have embraced and i'm like raising my hand going wait a minute like this doesn't actually feel right anymore if your enlightenment means that you're you have these controls over how i live my life and how i relate to the land that i'm on um so I think looking at indigenous wisdom, Robin Wall Kimmerer, I, I, I love her. If, you're, if anyone's looking for like a balm for these difficult times, her book Grading Sweetgrass is, is incredible. And um, she's a professor, she's a biologist, and she's a professor of forestry at one of those uh, State University of New York schools. Um, but she's citizen Potawatomi Nation, and she comes at things from sort of a maternal and an anti-capitalist framework of looking at our relationships to land but also indigenous science right because you know there are indigenous knowledges that are also scientific the idea that Western the Western worldview is the only way to do science is is really misrepresenting the breadth of scientific knowledge and access and it's amazing because so her specialty is moss so her she is a specialist in these tiny tiny worlds and she can see whole worlds and universes in moss and mm. so when I talk about like alternate universe like understanding scale and time that even though we're living in a slice of the world that feels very much under control by Michael Bloomberg or, you know, the Vatican bank or Goldman Sachs, like at the Moss level, like they're not controlling or at the cosmic level. So there are different scales and different worlds happening. Like even our biome, right. Even our microbiomes is a different world view. Right. So she is very, very beautiful. And she talks a lot about like right relationships, um, and reciprocity and you know, the honorable harvest and knowing your gifts and how to give them. And and all of these are things that I very much keep with me. And and I think to me, one of the the, the, the thought, the people whose ideas that I lean on the most is John Trudell, because he understood um vibration and reality and the importance of thinking and um and predator energy. He, you know, I've been listening to him for about three years, and every time I go back and I listen, and like he, like I feel like he was visiting from another. Yeah. You know, he was here to give us this knowledge, but he's like, there's this predator energy, and when people want to say it's communist, it's technocrat, it's communitarian, I'm like, it's a predator energy, people. Like yeah. it's a predator energy taking on the form of certain human beings, but that is what we're up against—a spiritual battle. And so, um, when you take it outside the partisanship. And you say, what do we need to do to be in right relationship? Not only among people, but among the environment, among the cosmos. How do we be good relations to, to our plant you know, siblings and the animals of the world and the waters? How do, how do we be in right relationship? And if we pose it as that question, I think it, a lot of that stuff falls away if we, if we proceed with good intention and, and you know, it's so messed up. It's not like, I'm not kidding anybody that it's going to be easy to make it right. You know, I'm not, I don't want to dismiss and sort of say like in any way that, Oh, this is easy to do and we'll just make it better. Like, no, it's going to be really, really hard. But I think if we come at things from a point of caring and trying to do the right thing, it's amazing. The alliances you have actually. Mm -hmm. They come from very unexpected places. People in, I would never think in a million years would understand where I was coming from, do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I come from a, like a libertarian background. We should be fighting each other, but we're not at all. And I don't even want to go there because we have so much other work to do, you know, on the, um, on the, uh, just on these. But it's hard. Like I would say the free levels. market
1: piece. Is that once you create these data markets, right, in, in human capital portfolios, mm-hmm. like the, the Peter Fields of the world, like those big upper people, those are the, that's going to be the market. And so yeah. I think there are many libertarians who imagine that we're going to have their own space, their own communities with their own autonomy. But if you do, are not also aware of what Peter, the Peter Fields of the world right. are planned, you're going to be hijacked.
0: Well, there's always been a confusion between, and a lot of libertarians or free market oriented people make the make the mistake of thinking that corporations are part of a free market. And that was a big revelation for me. I mean, I was just raised in a Republican family, so I had to kind of learn my own economic theories and ideas. And, um, you know, and just in kind of growing into my own understanding, it kind of struck me one day that... Especially this has become I mean you can go into talking about public-private partnerships, which is a huge part of all of this, but um, You know a lot of people who identify on the right or are going to be Republicans or or You know even libertarians a lot of libertarians still think of the corporations as part of the free market system and what I what happened to me Was just a complete understanding that like no, I mean the corporate government system is the system that we need to be fighting it's it's it works in concert i think the people on the left make the mistake of thinking that the governments are working uh, uh, to limit the corporation the corporate power once you
1: realize google is your government it's a totally different thing like once once you realize that piece oh google alphabet and Goldman sachs are your government like then you're like oh okay and you're fine with it right like both sides are perfectly willing to go along and yeah i mean it's it's
0: yeah, I, I mean, to me, my libertarian or my brand of, of economics comes from just an idea that I believe that not that self organizing systems actually create the highest level of of efficiency and human good. And and what we're talking about here today, this technocracy, this is a, a human organized system. This is a, an engineered system by human beings, not by the forces of nature, which, you know, that I think, you know, libertarians will talk about, um, the, the rights of nature or, you know, the natural law as being transcendent and, and, uh, you know, working with natural law would be the principle behind the self-organizing system that would be, uh, a, an ideal free market. But as long as there's corporate, corporate actors, I mean, corporations are just the, the organizations created by the aristocracy of Europe. When colonization happened historically, they are the the you know, the the economic foundation for colonization and as you've described this Imposition of the of the technocratic state is just a continuation of this same philosophy. It's sure. been on for hundreds of years
1: Well, and I think it's, it's useful to think um, Within the pay for success the social impact bond human capital bond marketplace that's going to be coming up um You know, it's very much about accounting, right, and finance and legal contracts. So we have to understand looking forward that the role of the big um, global consultancies, the Deloitte's, the KPMG's, the Accenture's, they all have a key role to play. in essentially, once this augmented reality world is coded, it will be coded with contracting systems that will increasingly be automated. Right. So if you imagine that the world outside becomes mediated through sensors that are attached to legal and financial contracts, and that as you engage in the real world or in, with individuals in the w- real world, that that those contracts are being activated in real time, like that's a very different thing. I mean, I think a lot of people aren't imagining the role of the accounting and the legal system and setting this all up. And what is the jurisdiction um, for a cloud-based digital twin world, right? And I think that there's some interesting ideas about maritime law and cloud-based law, right? Like if, you, if you're mm. acting upon someone as a digital twin, what is the jurisdiction for that? And I, I don't know that that has been determined, but there's a guy, um, Vinye Gupta, who is a key figure in blockchain and what's called, um, he runs something called Materium, the internet of agreements, which are these smart contracts, these Ethereum contracts. And he, right. he used, he did work for the US military, and he's like, you know, London is going to be the center for all of this because the precedent is all in maritime law for blockchain. Right. So so there's okay. some interesting, I, I don't know enough people who are talking about that piece of it who aren't maybe in on it already, but that's something that I'm thinking about is within this militarized video game, the contracting process. But I was going back to the accounting is that I trace this back at least as far as the doctrine of discovery because the, the Vatican Bank is a major player in this as well. They've done uh, three different Social impact conferences; they have ties back to the Bay Area. Um, Omidyar Network, PR Omidyar, is 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 a big part of this. Um, And Ronald Cohen was at these meetings. um, You know, and they're working with Microsoft. But the the Vatican Bank, this papal bull that said essentially you can go off and if you're go to these lands that are not Christian, like -hmm. you can take the resources, you can take people, like you can just act with with impunity. But that that corresponded to the the rise in the West of double entry bookkeeping. Because once you had maritime trade, you needed new accounting systems, right? And right. so that that trade was enabled, and the insurance industries are huge players in all of this, um, in 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 insuring the cargo, much of which was human bodies, was enslaved African people, like right? They moved totally these markets. Yeah. So if you understand these historic connections, are still very relevant. Who are the insurance companies? Who are the accounting companies? Because the blockchain ledger is the new type of ledger for this new type of virtual world system.
0: For the modern slave trade, basically.
1: Pretty much, yeah.
0: Yeah. But it goes
1: back to the doctrine of discovery and double entry bookkeeping, at least that far.
0: Well, that's just it. I mean, when you see the lineage, and I'm trying to create a big picture here, and there's so much to talk about, but I, I think we're doing a pretty good job, actually. When when you see the lineage of of this technocratic movement, it clearly, I mean, you've you've mentioned the eugenics connection, um, and we're talking about going back to the roots of European colonization and Roman colonization, and and even uh, when you discuss maritime law, I mean, there's from a libertarian perspective, we talk a lot about common law as being the foundation for a free society where we all have individual rights and these individual rights are granted, including self-ownership, right? I mean, founded on self-ownership. So you're not a slave if you have a common law system because you're automatically granted self-ownership. That's the foundation for the whole thing. But there has been a constant push. And some have even, you know, argued that our current legal system, it's supposed to be constitutionally based on common law, but that, there have been legal sleight of hands that have happened over the last 200 years to switch us over into this maritime law system or admiralty system, which is why they're giving corporations individual rights, for example. Um, it's corporate law, and it's always been a part of colonization. And it's always been a part of this this slave trade. Um, it's interesting to me that, and I haven't delved too deeply into this, so maybe you can explain this some more. I mean, there's, there's been... From that kind of libertarian perspective, there's been some hope that the blockchain with the cryptocurrencies could liberate people from the central banking cartel, which has thus far, using the fiat currency system, this has been the... I, you kind of alluded to to phase 1 of globalization but for the last 100 years or so the the primary mechanism of what i would call the human resource management has been the use of of the fiat currency system and then and then every all of us have basically been debt slaves um in that we have to borrow money to do what we want to do to get an education or to get you know buy a car or buy a house or whatever and then we're always paying that money off plus interest to the people who own the banks, so the people who own the banks are always skimming off the top of the entire economy, which is exactly what it sounds like. This new technocratic system is is just the it, it's just you know fiat currency two point basically, where. But I would
1: they, say it's harder and faster, right? Because they could so sure.
0: if Be you understand more controlling,
1: yeah. And in real time, and and, and something I want to say about the history is that, you know, I wasn't familiar with Operation Paperclip really before I got into this, but this idea Mm -hmm. of, like, the German scientist, you know, Wernher von Braun running the space program, right? And so if you understand that beyond the 5G small cells, much of this infrastructure is being run by satellites, right? I mean, the fact that, like, our space program was controlled by the Nazis, like, when you have an open-air global prison and you realize that historic origins trace back to the Nazis, and these, these accounting systems that are coming up what, IBM is a huge player in the space in blockchain tracking mm-hmm. and um, they've even talked about um, the learning economy They're part of something called the learning economy where they're using education training as currency, but it really is behavioral training um, These same dark actors keep reappearing, you know um, the holocaust cards and ibm and the, the, the Holocaust and the tr- tracking and the inventory and south african apartheid ibm was a part of all of that so you know, if we don't have a clearer reckoning of the history, we're going to, we're going to be a little misguided. And I will just say in terms of even the founding fathers, so I'm in Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. there's going to be a gathering, um, you know, on Saturday um, and it's very much framed as like founding fathers. And I think it's a lot of sovereignty people and, and um, you know, there is at independence mall, like in the speaker's corner. And I, I I spoke to people and I said, listen, you know, we're be away from the president's house archeological site where George had nine people enslaved in a city of free blacks, right? It wasn't that everybody was enslaved and he happened to have some slaves. He actually rotated his slaves back and forth from Mount Vernon to keep them from being able to attain their freedom, right? Mm -hmm. He did this with intention. Mm -hmm. So this is our first president that is being lifted up as the constitution, as the founding fathers, as freedom. And I'm saying, you know, we have a lot of reckoning to do with actually how these systems were set up. Because they were set up to enable such behavior to happen sure um, and so in good faith like I couldn't like I'm having a parallel walk at um, Where I'm walking from the central bank from the Philadelphia Federal Reserve, which is a block uh, You know, it's a, from a, within a block of that same site to William Still's house who was a, who was a conductor on the Underground Railroad He helped like um, document and shelter over 600 um, slaves because those are the people that we actually need to be channeling right now. What did right. the resistance to slavery look like, right? Like, we need, like, if we're not willing to actually grapple with what this is about in terms of how we entreated indigenous people, because it's very much tied with um, the, the reservation system and stealing people's economic independence and making them dependent on the government and then being terrible to them. And in breaking up their families and, and erasing their culture and also enslavement and unfree labor, like those are the things we most, we have to do some internal work on this. And I'm not and saying yes. it to like wag my finger, but I'm like, literally, if this is a spiritual battle and we're stepping off to say, these are our role models, we haven't actually done the work to understand the nature of the problem in my mind.
0: I, uh, this is an interesting conversation, so I'm I'm really glad that we're having it because again I, I think I come you know because I have just this history of a libertarianism or whatever and I'm I really want to get away from the right left paradigm I think you're right there with me but you have a history from coming from the left so it's almost like we get a chance to clear clear up some of these misconceptions that that we have about each other maybe um, but just one of the things that's concerned me because I have a lot of friends and you have brought up yourself that you've noticed that people on the left right now are, seem to be very um, they're they're helping to promote this this technocracy. I don't see I don't think they see the big picture I do live in California. Uh, I mean even in my own community like people are gung-ho about it They want everybody to wear a mask. They're doing what Gavin Newsom says. They don't they're not concerned that you know The democracy is not functioning and that our governor is issuing executive orders
1: it's crazy. Because,
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well that's, that's what I mean and I but and the, the interesting thing is while I completely 100% agree with you that that the colonial system was founded on slavery, that the founding fathers themselves indulged uh, in this system. And, and that, you know, there's no, uh, I I mean, I'm not advocating in any way, you know, slavery is obviously an abhorrent system. In fact, I think I'm trying to prevent, you know, the, the next level of the slave trade from, from being implemented here. I mean, this is where it's going. If we don't kind of stand up against it, but conversely i think a lot of my left wing friends have simply been convinced that things like like individual rights because it's been hammered into them that you know some of the founding fathers most of the founding fathers were slave owners hence things like the the right to free speech is something that, you know, that's an old idea that was made by a bunch of slave owners. So we don't have to care about it anymore or the right to freedom of assembly. I mean, we've lost these rights right now. I, my friends on the left are yelling at Republicans saying that they're fascists and that Trump is some kind of a Hitlerian when our governor has literally disbanded the legislature and is running, you know, the country on executive order. And it's like, so, and and they don't, and they don't mind that, you know we didn't even have a, a conversation about the loss of the right to freedom of assembly when it happened
1: no it i mean i you know what I, i'm saying no well i think i think what we're living through is i mean it's a giant like be, like ex- behavioral experiment <laughs> and well, i think absolutely. it's been up, led up to for a while because yeah. i think the the partisanship the the keeping people in feedback loops um not having any depth of like thinking about things um it's a problem. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and, and, and that's what I'm saying is if we actually pull back to the larger power systems. Right. I mean, I, I think I would hope that most people on the left, if you actually looked and said, who is benefiting most from this moment financially and in terms of gaining c- control and consolidating power? You yeah. have to agree that it's not people that have the interests of humanity in, at heart. It, it just isn't period. You know, I don't think anybody wants to live in Jeff Bezos um, like mini pod, affordable housing unit and have in- of things in their shoes and wear their brain headbands. I mean, I think if you actually told them that that's the program, <laughs> that they, they wouldn't stop. Right. But, and that's why I don't know if it's neural dust. Like, I, you know, look at the- <laughs> everybody up with the neural dust. I don't know. Um, like clearly that should, if you understand systems of power, you would know that the people are not in control of this process. The people are not in control, and to right. further um, depe- become dependent on a government that is run by crazy people, like literally, and even the people that like have been lifted up as the heroes, it's all a sh- it's all a show. If you understand it as a spectacle, if you understand that Trump is as much driving people into the partisanship totally. as the Democrats, like yeah. it is a show to double down people into their little niches so that they don't look out and see what the real threat is
0: i have i i mean I, you know these are things i can't prove but in my gut i think that trump has always been a, sort of a fabrication the political theater as you're describing it, as a as a as type of controlled opposition and what i've seen happen is you know before trump a lot of the the cons the quote-unquote conspiracy theory world was was gaining traction we were you know there were a lot of people on the internet hundreds of thousands of subscribers on youtube um really trying to get people out of the left-right paradigm and then with trump and then with q whatever that is all of a sudden you know a good chunk of of the quote-unquote conspiracy theorists became you know q supporters back into the right-left paradigm as trump supporters and then The fake news memes came out. I mean, you know, we just started like everything Trump said. If he said CNN was fake news, then, you know, like the left wing wants to go watch CNN and the right wing now is watching, you know, maybe independent media more. But it's still a part of the left right paradigm. And that's what's so frustrating to me, because I just want to get people away from the right left paradigm and into this top down paradigm. Like you're saying, the billionaires have increased their wealth by 33 percent in the last eight months. Do you think that would happen by accident? you think that was just a coincidence? Just happened if the chips just fell their way, you know?
1: I mean, I keep saying things like, so the state of Illinois has, a, they haven't actually implemented, but they have a whole, in 2018, they issued a state report on blockchain. So they have a thought experiment of how the, all the ways they could do blockchain identity and how they would use it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, blockchain ultimately is going to be the way of facilitating, um, the next phase of globalization will be telepresence labor, which you're already seeing like i think Berkeley had these thing kiwi bots where it was individuals i think in Bolivia that they would remote control robot like coolers to students dorms for like burritos like fast casual food so there was a person who would go and load up the robots that the, these little things these remote control cars but people in Bolivia were driving them right for the last mile of delivery that's how that's the new globalization well the more sophisticated version because they're developing haptic controllers And haptic suits and VR headsets is that once they build their automated factories, those are not cheap things to build. They're going to find like, where is it most stable from a climate standpoint, from a social geopolitical standpoint, they're going to build their factory and then they're going to farm out the work. They'll have a few people. No one's going to live by that factory. There's going to be a skeleton crew. And then on a daily basis, they'll farm out through AI contracts. And reputation scoring, who gets to do this bit of a task? And it'll be someone in Bangladesh, someone in the Philippines, someone in Poland. And then we can compete against each other. But that relies on blockchain to have the validated credentials. Do you have the credentials to push that button? Right. And all of the AI will know that, but they need this infrastructure to come in place. So right now it's right. just Kiwi bots, right? It started with drone warfare. Now it's Kiwi bots. But the, the, and that is where the haptics in the video game industry is in the Xbox and Microsoft, like that's what they're building is both synthetic people and haptic remote control labor. So, but they need the blockchain to do the verification in real time. Do you have the 15 skills to do this job? Oh, here's 200 of you. Who will do it cheapest? Who has the best reputation score? And they will do that on a daily basis. The, the, the level of saying, like, oh, you'll do seven careers in your life. Well, now it's like, maybe you'll do you know a different, job every week right it'll be ultimate task rabbit and fragmentation and i think so that's that's what illinois because it's commodities futures markets chicago is the center for all of this because it's commodities trading right but they've got this thought process they're playing out the credentialing and the property on blockchain again once you get all the property on blockchain and they frame it as we're we're protecting you know indigenous people by putting your property on blockchain once it's on blockchain they're getting any kind of idea of collective ownership. That's gone. It's all on blockchain, and that's what's proceeding right now. Um, but they have food stamps, so they did a thought experiment about what would digital food stamps look like. And nudging: Do you make do you buy the apple or do you buy the hamburger? Right? And then they have the COVID tests with DNA nudge bands that are: you have to scan your food access based on your DNA. So that's eugenics, and then it's tied to your digital wallet. So these levels, like if you told someone on the left, like, and I keep trying, like. Hey, the plan is to like use your DNA to decide what food you can eat in your digital wallet while you're doing gig economy haptic work in a, in a crazy suit and having your mental health managed, you know, through some, you know, managed care provider to make sure you don't go insane sitting on your sofa. Like that is the future. It's not that, oh, the robots are doing the work. So now we're going to sit in a hammock and, and write a novel. Right. That's not the game. And they should know that. People are, I know people who are smart. People who are smart and they should know that. And I, don't, I can't explain why they're not. And it doesn't really have to do, you know, on the one hand, you can say we're so frightened of this thing. But I'm like, you know, I'm not going to tell you it isn't like how to, how to react to this illness. But if you are not addressing the biosecurity measures and this transition to the Great Reset, um, you're kind of worthless yeah. <laughs> on, 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 on the standpoint of standing for humanity because it's not going to matter.
0: Why don't you let people know where they can get in touch with you? And i just, you know, just to conclude, I mean, that's just it. I mean, that's why I'm so, so happy that you're out there, actually. And so, so um, fascinated by your work is because the work that you're doing is really important. And I hope that more people do understand how these financial markets are literally being built on top of human misery. And that that has been in, it's been planned for a long time. And with the 5G it's, they're put, they're putting it online and whatever we think about COVID, we don't even really need to have that conversation. They're clearly using COVID as an excuse to make this happen. Right. Um, and nobody is talking about it. So I'm going to do my part to help you get the word out because I really appreciate In it.
1: California. You guys are on the front line and I can imagine it's really hard to be there. Oh man. There.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, give out your, uh, your, your website?
1: Sure. So um, I have a blog. It's uh, called Wrench in the Gears, wrench like a tool, wrenchinthegears.com. It's a WordPress blog. And I also have a little bit of um, like a YouTube channel. It's not really a channel, but if you look up Allison McDowell, YouTube, it should come up. Um, It's not really fancy, but I've just started collecting a lot of um, interviews and things that I've done with people. So, um, you know, there's a lot of content. If you prefer to listen to things, there's a fair amount of information there, too.
0: All right. And thanks again, Allison. And I'll just uh, remind people that you can go to the shift now.com and, uh, you can check out all of my work there. I've got 120 interviews up. Um, I'm also on uh, Facebook and YouTube at the shift with Doug McKenty, And I've been expanding out to uh, other social media sites as well. parlor and minds and trying to get on rock fin. Um, because it seems like the alternative sites are (laughs) maybe a little bit more amenable to these kinds of conversations than the big tech companies (laughs) these days. But um, thanks again for your work, Allison. And yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to uh, keep up the conversation with you as you discover more just to continue to inform my audience and try to spread the word about this because this is the cutting edge stuff. Um, And so I hopefully more and more people will find out about it.
1: All right.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Take care. Well, all right, ladies and gentlemen, that was my interview with Allison McDowell. She is the host of the Wrench in the Gears blog. Uh, I just highly recommend everybody go check out her work. Her research is uh, second to none, in my opinion. I started getting into uh, checking out her stuff in preparation for this interview, and I just started to get more and more blown away at the quality level of the research that she's done. and her ability to really follow the money. Um, you know, As you heard in my last previous interview with Foster Gamble, he always wants to follow the money. It's so important and something that, of course, I never see in the mainstream media. They're never connecting the dots because when you peel back that curtain of all the flowery language that you're going to get on the front of the World Economic Forum's webpage or uh, on the front of the United Nations webpage about Agenda 21, when you peel that back, Then you start to find all of these public-private partnerships, and then when you start looking into the board of directors of these public-private partnerships, and you start to see the connections between the boards of directors and the investors, and then the investors are all the same set of billionaires, they're all part of the same clique. That's what you've got to start looking into in order to figure out, you know what is the motivation behind what these people are doing? And do we want a handful of billionaires to have this much control over the direction that our culture is going? circumventing the democratic processes and using these public-private partnerships to just impose a future upon us that we don't get to have any input into? And that's the biggest issue for me. So so pleased to be able to talk with Allison. Um, and to really suss out some of this information, because what's coming down the pike is a lot different than what they're telling us right now. The new normal is going to be a radically new normal. It's The changes aren't going to stop when the vaccine comes out. I'm talking to a lot of my friends right now. Well, the vaccine's going to come out hopefully in six months. Everything will be back to normal. That is not the plan, uh, and researchers like Allison can show you the plan. It's not a secret. It's out there in plain sight for those who want to go find it. These white papers are available. Go to the World Economic Forum website, check it out, uh, and go to wrenchinthegears.com and check it out, what Allison is saying. She's putting things together. With the rollout of 5G, and with the rollout of the whole coronavirus protocol, what we're looking at is the creation of the Internet of Things, and what they're calling the Internet of Bodies. That means that they're going to be putting nanotechnology inside of our bodies that can monitor what's going on inside of our bodies, our temperature to theoretically decide if we're sick, but they can sense how we feel. They're shooting this data back to a centralized computer constantly, uh, who's keeping track of all who that will eventually keep track of all of us, what's going on, what we're doing, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, and reporting in real time, twenty four seven, into this large database. It's a complete one hundred percent surveillance state that Allison is discovering, and on top of that, she's discovered this, the creation of these commodity exchanges based on the information that they're getting back with a concept of virtual twinning so you'll have a virtual person on the internet um, as well as the idea of nudging which means that they're going to give us many incentives to make quote-unquote good choices uh, by their definition of what a good choice is because you're ability to make choices for yourself is going to be slowly whittled away and whittled away and whittled away until you're just a part of this internet of bodies uh, that may well be completely controlled through an AI that is controlled by algorithms determined by very wealthy people trading on these commodity exchanges. It is essentially a modern form of slavery. And that's the other thing that I wanted to talk about. Well, first, What I really appreciated about Allison is that she's coming from the left perspective. And I've, as you all know, if you listen to this show, typically come, I come from a libertarian perspective. I like to be honest about that in case I have some confirmation bias as a result of coming from the quote-unquote right. Now, I don't use the right-left paradigm anymore. Uh, I don't like to argue between left and right. I use the top-down paradigm. And that's exactly where Allison is coming from. She started on the left. And so we were able to have some really interesting conversations about where we maybe kind of disagreed, but where the vast majority of time we were coming together and coming together on the top-down paradigm where clearly we can all see, whether you're from a left perspective or a right perspective, we can all see that the oligarchy is controlling us. And they have plans with the new technology that's coming out right now including this genetic technology, the CRISPR technology that's being utilized inside the mRNA uh, coronavirus vaccines. They're using this technology to control us even more than they have in the past. And the other thing that I really loved about this conversation with Allison is her, her big picture understanding of the concept of colonization I've been thinking about this for a while. There's an idea out there, uh, a book called Pedagogy of the Oppressed by Paolo Freire. He was a communist, so it comes kind of from the left, and he talks about the colonization of the mind. And so I read that book. I started thinking about what is this idea of of the colonization of the mind and realizing that really, even though we're told that colonization was something that happened and it's not happening anymore and it had to do with, uh, you know, white white Europeans essentially oppressing people of color, it started to occur to me that those white Europeans themselves, the vast majority, not the elite class, not the upper class, the feudal class, um, the no- nobility, but the vast majority of the Europeans had also come from indigenous cultures that had previously been colonized by the Romans, and we're talking about two, three, four hundred 400 AD. And uh, then... As things progressed, uh, the Roman church uh, did a lot of inquisitions, a lot of burning people at the stake, uh, and these were people that were holding on to the older knowledge, the indigenous knowledge of Europe, and that knowledge was essentially eradicated, and now what we're seeing is we have people in these first world countries that are considered privileged, but who are actually colonized to the extent to where they don't even remember what it was like to not be colonized. Uh, And we we go into detail about the the current system of debt slavery that's used by the oligarch class uh, and imposed on the vast majority of us in first world nations. Uh, But now it appears that this same tradition of colonization, because of the existence of the technology, now once 5G comes online and then, as Allison mentioned, 6G later on down the line, then we're going to start getting internet speeds that allow robot-to-robot communication in real time. When all of this can happen in real time, then they can take the, the way that they're controlling the human population, the way that they manage what they consider human resources, the way that they invest in human capital... Uh, they can start to take these control mechanisms to the next level, and also this technology that's now coming online with the uh, human machine interface. So you know, Elon Musk is working on his Neuralink, uh, and pretty soon we're going to be all getting uploaded onto the internet and into the virtual world, and then the even greater potential for a, a more a complete control grid where we're all just basically cyborgs. Uh, working for the upper class, working for this elite class. And they, according to Allison McDowell's research, they are working really hard to make this a reality. And unless we stand up and we say, hey, we like to make choices for ourselves, we enjoy our human bodies. The conversation that Allison and I have about the difference between those that sort of worship the technology versus those who have respect for the sacredness of the biology. Um, and I think it's safe to say that Allison and I are both coming from the point of view of the sacredness of the biology, the bios, uh, as it was called by the ancient Greeks. Um, Just having that respect that uh, life is worth living and that individual freedom and participating in a natural system uh, that is uh, self-organizing based on the choices of free individuals Uh, that's what makes life worth living, certainly to me. I think Allison would agree with that, uh, as opposed to participating, being forced to participate in a system of social engineering that's based on as much controlling behavior by an upper class as can be possibly implemented given the technology that's available. And again, with the fourth industrial revolution, that technology is really taking itself to the next level. And what we're seeing uh, with the COVID is that COVID is this pandemic is giving, uh, this oligarchy class, um, the perfect opportunity to implement this fourth industrial revolution through this great reset. So, um, you know, the stuff that she's brought up is very real. And, uh, I hope that we can hear her message soon enough to understand what is planned for us and make choices accordingly uh, before we lose the opportunity to make choices ourselves. In the second hour, if you're interested in subscribing, in the second hour, we, we take a really deep dive into this idea of colonization, and we have a conversation about, you know, one of the things that I was just so happy that Allison brought up was that, Indigenous people have science too. <laughs> you know, One of the things that frustrates me the most, um, and I've done interviews in the past about scientism, people that really believe in this Western European science to the point where they think that all other cultures simply had these superstitions you know they weren't capable of using logic before uh, you know the white europeans came up with this concept of reason and then we created science and now we can impose science upon the rest of the world because it's obviously for the better and that uh, not being a racist means happily assimilating people into this uh, technocratic system no matter what color their skin tone is and so Allison and I have a deep dive into, you know, what I actually consider uh, that perception to be white supremacy and that some people are now projecting their supremacist attitudes onto onto others. And we're having this big racial conflict right now uh, when uh, from the perspective of Allison and I, we should all be listening uh, and having greatest respect for uh, cultures from around the world uh, that have a lot to offer, especially in terms of how to live harmonious harmoniously with natural systems and natural cycles, how to live sustainably. I mean, these cultures lived for thousands and thousands of years in harmony with nature, actually uh, helping to facilitate natural processes, making the forests stronger, more beautiful, more powerful, more abundant, Um, whilst our culture, uh, clearly the the colonizing culture right now is, is so devastating to the natural environment. So to find solutions to the environmental crisis, to find solutions to the toxicity crisis that we're enduring right now. We need to be looking towards sciences from other cultures that have already integrated natural systems into their belief systems so that they, when they use their reason and their capacity for knowledge, and when they're making their own personal choices about how to live they're making those choices based on a belief system that teaches them how to live in harmony with natural systems, how to, how to help to clean the environment, how to be a good steward of the land. Um, and I was really pleased to have that conversation with her. That was in the second hour. I hope you guys think about checking that out. Um, just to remind you all, one more time her uh, her uh, blog is called wrench in the gears so please go to www.wrenchinthegears.com for all of her work it goes back to 2016 she's got about four years worth uh, of articles that she's written it'll it'll show you her whole story from starting off uh learning about agenda 21 as an education activist in philadelphia all the way to the stuff that she's getting into now with the uh, great reset in the fourth industrial revolution so please uh, i urge everyone to go check out her work it's really impeccable not a lot of people she may be the only one especially in terms of reporting on this uh, securitization these commodity exchanges um, the way the blockchain technology is is going to be used in order to keep track of each and every one of us and then have and then reduce each and every one of us to a commodity our labor becomes a commodity that's traded um, by an upper class while uh, we're fed breadcrumbs inside the surveillance state so <laughs> So please go and check that out. Uh, and uh, I just want to let everybody know, I think I'm going to take a couple of weeks off. We're getting on towards the holidays. I may, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this series, uh, The Psychology of Lockdown with my buddy George Roche. I think he was episode 54 of The Shift. Um, and we had a great conversation about psychology and what's going on in terms of why people uh, can't really hear this alternative information. Um and the cognitive dissonance and the confirmation bias that they seem to uh, express when they do kind of look at it (laughs) <laughs> you know the frustration that we all feel when we try to show our, our primary sources to others and they and they blow you off because it's not on the corporate news. Um, and so we're going to get into a, a real serious explanation, a series. It's going to be a shorter series. Maybe we'll do eight or ten of them. Maybe like fifteen to thirty minutes a piece if we can keep ourselves to talking to each other for for that little bit of a time. But we're going to try to be really succinct. We're going to hit uh, the ideas of you know what is a patriarchal culture. What is it like to be educated within a patriarchy, um, inside this hierarchical system, inside this militarized system? Uh, what does the trauma that occurs if you are raised, you know, if you're trained like a dog from the time you're a kid, What is what effect does that have on how you think? Where cognitive dissonance comes from and why people have such confirmation bias? Um, Uh, The the kind of Stockholm syndrome that starts to happen that attaches people to their abusers. So no matter how hard the the government father figure, no matter how badly they treat you, uh, you're still connected to them psychologically. uh, Still trying to please the father figure, even though everything that we do, we're never going to wear enough masks, but we got to try harder. You know, we're seeing that psychology all over the place, and this links right back into my conversation with Allison about colonization. Uh, This kind of psychology is the psychology of colonization, the psychology of of patriarchy, and trying to make the shift away from this, uh, and then into what into a psychology of freedom. What I would call a, a matriarchal system. Uh, that's based on uh, a self organizing system rather than systems based on social engineering uh, and population control. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, and also, I'm going to take this little bit of a time off to uh, complete my book. Um, I've been working on editing the final phases. It's a book that I wrote actually some years ago and never really had the opportunity to publish it. I didn't know where I'd go with it, but uh, it's going to have. Uh, a lot of interesting, it's just basically my perspective on uh, it kind of, um, I make, you know, we, I talk about patriarchy and matriarchal cultures and, and ways of thinking and paradigms of thinking. Um, but in the book, I split it up to uh, a metaphysics and aesthetics. Um, and that's kind of the dichotomy or the paradox, as I call it in the book, that I play around with. So I'll be looking forward to get that, getting that out uh, and we'll make it available on the website as well. Um, I think that's about everything that I wanted to say. Oh, I've also got some upgrades coming to the website. Uh, this is just all the work that I'm going to do in the next couple of weeks and try to get this book out. I uh, try to upgrade the website so that I can get um, easier distribution for the podcast and maybe even get a few more subscribers going on i'm going to add a newsletter onto the list and i'll tighten up the membership forum um, trying to get a few more subscribers in here so if you like what you're hearing and you want to hear more of it actually please do go to my website uh, that is www.theshiftnow.com And think about subscribing and I will be um, setting it all up so that I'll be sending a newsletter with all of our free content that's coming out week by week uh, as well for as for the members, all of the full length interviews um, that'll be coming your way so you'll have easier access. I'm getting to a place where I'm realizing that I've got to start funneling more people through to the website. Because the censorship is only going to get worse here as the vaccine rolls out. We've been seeing a lot of evidence that uh, governments are going to be coming down pretty hard on on information um, that uh, does not paint the vaccine in a, in a really pretty picture. So um, they're going to be uh, flooding the, the media market with pro-vaccine, uh, what I would call propaganda, and not allowing those of us that may have questions to ask those questions in any kind of a, a public Um, debatable forum. So anyway, we've all, maybe we have uh, what they're calling a dark winter coming our way, ladies and gentlemen. And I hope that uh, you can continue to come back to the shift for news and information uh, that is outside the corporate narrative uh, and from incredible researchers like Allison McDowell. So thank you all for listening. Uh, Again, it'll probably be a couple of weeks. I will have the Psychology of Lockdown series coming your way. Before that, something I'm going to start working on next week. So stay tuned for that, and I'll have another interview coming your way. Uh, I'll probably do one or two before Christmas, to be honest with you, but it might be first of the year. And I'm gearing up to have uh, a really great year next year. I'll have the book ready. I'll have the uh, website top-notch. And I'll be ready to rock, so I hope you are too. We've got a lot of work to do coming in 2021, so um, stay tuned to The Shift. i give give you the website one more time, www.theshiftnow.com, and thank you all very much uh, for listening to this uh, incredible conversation that I just had with with, uh, Allison McDowell. Hope you check out her work as well. You all have, if I don't talk to you sooner, you all have a great holidays and a happy new year, and uh, we'll check you out next time. Okay. Thanks again. Take care.